Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in the second verse. Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. By biblical command and in all wisdom, married couples should be having sex. Frequently, even, they should be having sex. It curbs temptation to sexual immorality and it benefits husband and wife. Anytime we obey God's commandments, there are benefits and rewards, even in this life, for them. If you always tell the truth and you never bear false witness against your neighbor, guess what? You have a reputation after that of being an honest and upright man. Somebody who's always telling the truth. Anybody who tries to smear your character as a liar or a fabulist... Well, it kind of just rolls off of you and nobody believes that accusation because you're always telling the truth and you're never bearing false witness. So the command here given by the Apostle St. Paul, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, there is benefit in obeying that command. Think about it this way. More sexual activity between a husband and wife directly increases their quality of life. You are having more fun together. You get closer to one another. You enjoy each other's bodies and that floods your body with enough dopamine to make arguments about stupid things in marriage much less likely. It has been said that while men see sex as like a pick-me-up after a tough day, it's something that brightens their mood. Women see sex as the cherry on top of a nice sundae or something. It's something that you want when you're in a great mood, you've had a good day. Okay, we can talk about those differences, I guess. But have sex. Husbands and wives, have sex frequently whatever frequently means to the both of you. Now, some people would say this is self-evident, this is a part of marriage, why are you even bringing this up? To be frank, it's because most of the church is anti-sex, as I discussed in my opening rant. Something that God created, something that God instituted in holy matrimony to be a big part of it, well, the church hates that. It really does, and it doesn't depend on what denomination you're a part of. Roman Catholicism posits that, well, you really should have two separate beds, and you should only be having sex to procreate, and that's it. Missionary with the lights off, with a sheet between spouses so you don't feel too much skin, 
because, I mean, it's more holy and more according to virginity or something to not have sex. Even though St. Paul says, go, go have sex. Husbands and wives, go do it. They'll say, well, St. Paul says that as a concession for you dirty, fleshly sinners that just can't keep it in your pants. Like, if you absolutely must, you should go to your wife. Well, no. When St. Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command, he's talking about couples that decide to fast from sexual activity in order to devote themselves to prayer. That is his concession, not have sex with your wife. No, that's just a given. Have sex. Have sex often. And he says, palen epita auto ete, meaning come together or be together. Meaning it is not just the act of coitus, P in V, that we would necessarily describe. Couples have some freedom there, which is good news for married couples. If the command was always have P and V sex, then you're looking at trouble after your wife has given birth and there was vaginal tearing. You're going to be in trouble when she is pregnant and there might be doctor's orders saying, hey, don't do this because you might make her break her water too early. Or if somebody is injured, when St. Paul says come together again or be the same together, be together, yes, standard coitus is probably the intention for most cases. However, the intimacy of it is prime. So if a couple enjoys oral sexual favors or manual sexual favors, they are not in sin. Of course, procreation is an important thing, and procreative sex is fantastic. After all, what does Malachi say in Malachi 2, verse 15? Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Godly offspring is a part of marriage. That is what God wants to see out of it. Yes. Is that the only purpose for sex in marriage? No. If one partner in a marriage proves to be infertile, should they just never have sex? No, these commandments still apply to them. St. Paul says, yeah, go have sex. Because procreation is not solely the purpose for marriage and sex. There is also an aspect of avoiding temptation. Have sex with your spouse so you don't feel tempted to have sex with anybody else. Or watch porn. Or start doing homosexual things, etc. and so forth. It is supposed to be a curb on it. That is a negative motivation, stopping you from being tempted to something else. Malachi, the prophet, gives us a positive motivation. Having babies, and then baptizing those babies, and raising those babies in the faith, so that eventually they become adults, usually they marry, and they have babies of their own. That is the hope. So, husbands and wives are supposed to have lots of sex. That is normal. That is normative. And they have freedom in how they express that, in how they come together. 
And yes, typically, this should, for the most part, be penis-vagina intercourse, because that makes babies. That's a good work before God to reproduce and to have offspring, and he blesses us having offspring. Children are a blessing from the Lord. If it sounds like I'm being a little too luxury, if it sounds like I'm in a bad mood, it's because people have forgotten these elementary things. We think of sex as ugly, icky, it makes you nasty and dirty, but you have this part of you, this monkey on your back that's always wanting it. It turns a man against himself when he has to reject his own sexuality in order to pretend he's holy. We've gone off the deep end on this when it comes to matters of the church. Here is a simple proposition, guys. If God makes something, and then he says, Mehol, this is very good. The church should like that thing. The church should support that thing. God made the world that we live in. Maybe it would be a bad idea to spend a day throwing aerosol cans into a tire fire. Instead, we should practice good husbandry over the earth and teach Christians to do the same. Plant a tree, love the environment, take care of your animals with compassion rather than abusing them. Great, because God loves the creation that he made. Christ himself institutes the sacraments. We should, as the church, be pro-sacrament. We should never have a year go by between times in which we take communion. We should never have a baby that we look at that baby and go, um, listen, pal, we just don't like baptism around these corners. No, we should rejoice that we get to have the sacraments. We should be pro-sacramental. And guess what, guys? God made sex, so we should be pro-sex. I'm not saying we should be pornographic about it. I'm not saying that we should be gratuitous about it. Nobody should ever go to a church called Super Awesome Sex Community Church. That would be a bad idea. I'm never going to set foot in doggy-style Lutheran church. That's a bad idea. But... The church should be pro-sex in that they are pro-marriage. They help people get married, stay married, and provide them the godly instructions for marriage and then butt out. What do I mean by that? I mean we need to stop being control freaks about the bedroom. And we need to rebuff people that attack sex in marriage. What do I mean by that? I mean the inevitable objections to what I'm saying coming from both feminist and dude bro arguments. On the one hand, you're going to hear, Oh my gosh, so you're saying the Bible says he has a right to her body like she doesn't own her body? You're saying the wife is property of the husband? That's rape. Every single time they have sex in that marriage, it's rape. And I, for one, want it to go away. And then you got the dude bros on the other hand going like, Dude, don't get married. Marriage is a scam. And look, she's going to get fat. She's going to get nasty. She's going to turn into like a, a turbo skag over here, okay? Like, it doesn't last, man. And then she's just going to leave you for Chad anyway. 
So, like, don't even try. Just, like, you know, just, like, go to different clubs and bang emotionally damaged drunk chicks like me. Because that'll get you out of the Matrix, man. That'll make you a super player. For that matter, we need to rebuff half the church that just hates marriage and hates sex. They are always excusing divorce. They are always providing extra little reasons for divorce. They're claiming that anything a man can and does do is abuse. And therefore, a woman can just have this hair-trigger divorce, a TNT plunger, and blow up her family at any time. Especially if her husband brings up 1 Corinthians 7. We want to be the most pro-sex institution on earth because we worship the God that made it. And we do this by helping people get married and putting them in that great sweet spot where they're having lots of sex. Now, somebody is going to accuse me of being a coomer or a pervert or whatever. Well, think about it this way. A marriage that lasts is a three-legged stool. Three foundations. Headship, friendship, and sex. If you are missing one or two of those elements, you don't have a very good marriage. A marriage that is based on nothing but headship is a master-slave relationship, not a marriage. A marriage that is based on nothing but friendship is literally just friendship. It's not a marriage. And marriage that is based on nothing but sex is just concubinage. If you got headship and sex, you have a sex slave. If you have nothing but headship and friendship, great. You have an employer-employee relationship. If you've got just friendship and sex, well, great. You're friends with benefits, and that's it. So most of the complementarian churches out there are telling people, oh, it needs to be like 90% communication and friendship, man. And like 10%, you know, sometimes maybe just a little husbands make decisions. Um, but if he makes the wrong decision, the wife should not be uh, submitting to him because then he's abusive and she should divorce him. That's complementarian churches for you. Sex never enters the picture, except when you hear a sermon condemning marital rape or something. Meanwhile, in Roman Catholic churches and Eastern Orthodox churches, it's all about headship. It's all about structure. It is all about, here is how you do marriage properly according to the rules. You do not have freedom, by the way. Uh, you will do as we say, and we are going to tell you, quit having sex so much. In fact, let's go ahead and say that the obligatory fast before Pascha, um, you know, we strictly speaking can't tell you to quit having sex, but we're just going to really nudge you hard to make sure that doesn't happen because it's about saving your spouse's soul and you don't want your spouse to go to hell, do you? And of course, from liberal churches, it's something, something ethically sourced porn, something, something, let your freak flag fly but they are pro-sin heretics, so I'm going to go ahead and ignore them. If we want to have less divorce in the church, because a divorce among Christian husbands and wives that is not justified is a failure on the part of the church. It really is. It is us screwing up and failing to help our neighbors, particularly our laity, stay married. And if the church wants that to happen less often, 
we really should be telling them about this three-legged stool on which their marriage rests. Now, I know somebody's going to say, well, marriage is supposed to rest on love. You're right. But just because the law and the prophets are summed up by love God above all and love your neighbor as yourself does not mean that the church never says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and so forth. The Ten Commandments teach us what it means to love God above all and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So what does saying marriage rests on love and endures with love mean? Well, it means that you've got headship, friendship, and sex. And for husbands and wives, that sex should be frequent and enjoyable. It should be something you practice at and are a master at when it comes to your spouse. If a roadblock to sexual activity is, say, attractiveness, you don't find your husband as attractive as he once was, well, your husband should be working on how he looks and how he can be more attractive. A wife should be doing what she can to be attractive to her husband. Again, this facilitates sex and helping the marriage to survive, thrive, and increasing the quality of life for husbands and wives. Is there a problem with erectile dysfunction? Can he not keep it up? We'll work on that. Practice. Do something for that. I mean, this is all stuff that sounds crass, but it is important for a marriage. The reason we don't like talking about it very much, even though just about everybody really likes sex, is because it is holy. It is set apart for husbands and wives. Holy means just set apart. It is reserved for husbands and wives. It is for the marriage bed. It is supposed to be just you and your wife in the bedroom, right? Nobody else gets to see that. Nobody should see that. It should just be the two of you. So we get sheepish about talking about it because necessarily, well, it's not for everybody to talk about and know about and be crass about. It's a shame that the sexual revolution has us all so pornified so either we can't shut up about it and talking about things in way too much detail or we run screaming away from it. That's silly. Can we be adults here and have the conversation when necessary, but generally keep it to husbands and wives to talk about between each other? And like, people have forgotten how simple this really is. It feels good. It's great. Do it with your wife. Have fun. <laughs> if she's not in the mood, seduce her. If you're not in the mood because you're tired after work, I don't know, let her be on top. Or quit being such a baby and go bed your wife. Now, I say a bit of this in jest, because it's not my place to tell you how to go about fulfilling what St. Paul is saying we need to do. I can tell you what the Bible says, and that's what I'm doing right here. I can tell you the boundaries that Scripture sets. Don't invite a third party into your bedroom, for instance. But other than that, like, no, you have that freedom as a married individual to enjoy it and see to it that you and your wife are happy with each other. All I can say on behalf of what the scriptures say is, husbands and wives, you're supposed to go have sex. 
Now, it says often. What's often for one couple might not be often for another. Age can be a factor. Well, okay, if you mechanically cannot copulate anymore, you still should be, as husband and wife, having some form of intimacy. There's no shame in saying, well, we can't have sex anymore, so we just cuddle. I rub my wife's feet. Things like that. We're told to do something by Holy Scripture, but we have a whole lot of freedom in how we go about it. And that's good news, guys. We should be rejoicing that God lets us do it. Amen and amen.